Morning, church family. And it's good to be with you on a Sunday morning. I hope uh, you feel the same. And this morning, we're in a brand new series. If you turn your Bible open to Luke chapter 16, please. Luke chapter 16. This morning, we're beginning a series of messages on wealth. As uh, Pastor Nate said, wealth, poverty, and the kingdom of God. And I'd like to connect some dots for you, if I could, because you might think, wow, that's kind of random. Didn't we just do a series on racial reconciliation? And how does this all fit together? So over the course of this year, we've been doing a series of messages, both uh, biblical passages and book studies, and also topical studies on the bigger theme of impact. How do I step into God's plan for me to make an impact for the world? And we believe here at Bridges that part of your discipleship, part of you becoming like Christ, is for you to step into that plan of God for you. For you to make an impact in your neighborhood, in your places of work, in every place that God has called you to invest your life, for you to make an impact. And that's part of what a disciple does, who they are, right? Part and parcel for you following Jesus. So that's the bigger picture of our series, and it's the fourth strand, as we call it, our DNA for discipleship, to make an impact. So the last series we were in really unpacks how is it that we step into this topic, the racial reconciliation issues, and make an impact in our world. And it's, it's all around us, right? Always in the news about how do we step in or not step in or stand or kneel or do whatever. How do we proclaim as followers of Jesus reconciliation to our world? And specifically, how do we do that in an environment, a community here that has so many different strands of richness to it? Racially and ethnically and culturally, what a blessing to be this church that God has called us to be, right? How cool is it? And I know many of you are here for that very reason, because you want to follow Jesus and you want to do it in community of people who have different perspectives, who are different than you and can sharpen you in great ways. So as we step into this next topic, it has a lot to do with our following Jesus as well and making an impact because it addresses our resources And as you know, whether you like it or not, Jesus was very intrusive on this subject. And the Bible has a lot to say about this particular topic. So we're going to start with this really fascinating parable that Jesus tells. And it really actually will disturb you a bit. That's the intent, I think, of Jesus as we read this together. We're going to read Luke 16, 1 through 15. And I want you to be thinking out as we talk about this particular um, topic that Jesus is going to step into. What's the point that Jesus is making? What's the point? Let me read it if I could. Luke 16, starting in verse 1. Luke 16. He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I guess that's the only two other options he had besides being a manager. And some of you would nod your heads at that, right, at your managers. So I can't do one of those two things. I've decided what to do 
so that when I'm removed from management, people will receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master's commended The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. What? Did you hear that? That's the story Jesus told, right? And I hope it grabbed your attention because I'm confident it grabbed the attention of the people he's talking to, to the disciples and to the Pharisees who happen to be listening in as Jesus tells this story. And then Jesus gets to the point. One who was faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then... You have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth. Who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourself before men, but God knows your heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Wow, that's strong language, isn't it? That's a a powerful statement that he's making there. So, did it make you think a little bit? Raise some questions about the topic and why Jesus dives into the topic a bit. I think it'll be helpful for you if you understand that, like the full sweep, the context, right? This often we'll grab something, a story, or maybe even a verse or two in Scripture, and we'll read it, and we'll start thinking about it, and it's out of the context of how it's been actually delivered in the Word. So context always matters when we're doing biblical interpretation. Jesus speaking to his disciples here. And also to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, who were listening in. And it's a message for them. See, Jesus had this history of confronting them on their unrighteousness. On the things that were affecting them because they were the leaders and influencing a nation. And they were assuming that they were spiritual, that they were the righteous. That they had it wired, they figured it out. And at the same point, at the end of the message, we hear that they had this devotion. They had this desire, this passion. They were lovers of wealth. The word there isn't just money. It's, as the King James says, mammon. It's actually unrighteous gain. It's at any cost getting what I can get for myself. And they had become lovers of that. 
It's also helpful to note that Jesus uses parables to teach central truths. And sometimes when we pick apart parables, looking for all kinds of layers of meaning, we missed it. He's telling a story to grab attention. It's got the central spiritual truth to it. And Jesus often uncovers that spiritual truth right at the end of his story to bring clarity to the story. This is not a parable about ethics. Okay? He's not telling a story about, hey, so if you just are dishonest, that's all good. Right? How do I know that? How do you know that? Because the Bible is rife with teachings and illustrations that point us to the fact that integrity matters for us. That honesty matters for us. And how we're faithful to the resources God has given us is critical. So we know that Jesus isn't teaching against God's word. He's using this story to facilitate their questions, to get them asking the important things that are going on. And it's also helpful to note that in the context of Luke's account of Jesus' life, this story serves as a bridge. So in the following, the preceding story, the preceding story is the story of the prodigal son. That's Luke 15, 11 through 32. And it's going to lead into a next story, a story after this one that we see here in the first part of Luke 16, which is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. So he begins by telling a story in Luke 15 about the prodigal, about someone who squandered what was entrusted to them. He continues with an illustration about someone who squanders what's entrusted to them and how they try to weasel their way out of it. And then he talks about kind of the eternal consequences because he begins the next phrase by saying, there was a rich man. Now, just a side note here, and uh, we'll talk about this next week. When the Bible says there was a rich man or speaks in that kind of language, who's he talking to? Well, yeah, it's easy for me to say, yeah, it's the people up on the hill, right? It's people in the gated communities, He's not talking about me, right? Because I'm great at weaseling out of the conviction of the scriptures and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> that's, that's who I am. It's how I operate. But the reality, I hope you all know that if you're here this morning and if you're in this room, that phrasing is about you. It's about me. When over 50% of the world's population lives on less than $3 a day, it's us. Rich is us. So it's important. Actually, it's critical as followers of Jesus for us to listen and pay attention and to step into when Jesus uses this kind of language. Now, don't get lost in the weeds of the provocative parts of the story. The central message Jesus gives at the very beginning where he says this, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. Make sense? Yeah. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. That's a lot more uncomfortable, right? I want to think of myself as someone who is faithful in the little things. But when I hear Jesus say, yeah, but if you're dishonest in just the small things, see, that's what undercuts integrity. And integrity in the small daily things of life matters. That's a message we all need to hear. We all need to pay attention to and wrestle with. That integrity in the small things of life matters. 
But Jesus is actually even more intrusive than saying just that, right? Because how you are faithful matters. And specifically in these, in this portion of the book of Luke, how you are faithful with your finances matters. That's a little bit more uncomfortable. Jesus gets right to it. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and wealth, or as the King James says, mammon, unrighteous gain. You, you can't serve both the pursuit of money as your heart's greatest priority does not go with the pursuit of your heart in Jesus. They don't go together. Jesus is reiterating a key theme that's woven throughout the book of Luke, that the kingdom of God is about commitments. It's about your fundamental commitments, including the commitment to place Christ above economic security. He mentions this in Luke 14, 33, and Luke 18, 18 through 25. Luke places great emphasis on how the reign of God reverses the status, actually, of the rich and the poor. Again, Luke 1, 51 to 53, Luke 6, 20, and again in what he does in the book of Acts and how the church is crafted. These texts, they can't be just spiritualized. Luke's talking about a different way of kingdom living that implies it's a different way of how I use my resources and invest my wealth. Luke's message is our wealth belongs to God and is to be leveraged for kingdom building. The question is, how do I pull that off, right? How do I do that? So, why use a story about a dishonest manager and confuse it, muck it all up, as it were? Well, it got your attention, I hope. And as I said, I know it got the Pharisees' attention, and I believe everyone in the crowd was thinking about the dichotomy, the dichotomy between our values and behavior when it comes to money and security and the kingdom of God values, how distinctly different they are. Perhaps Jesus' real point was that we have our priorities upside down and the kingdom commitment that we make to Jesus to live for him, it turns things upside down. The kingdom of God has a very different set of economic principles. So what would it mean for us to live our life and our life's mission, and our church's mission according to a different set of kingdom economic principles. Um, So regardless of where you land on the finer points of the parable, wealth is this major topic, especially right here in this flow, the flow of Luke. And the chapter's key lesson for us is that wealth can be a blessing or a curse, depending on whether it's used as a means to exercise power as a tool of self-indulgence, or to resource, resource to serve others. Is the wealth that you currently have, the resources you have, is it a tool for self-indulgence, or is it a tool to be a blessing and to build the kingdom? And that's the great challenge. How do we become great investors? Now, I'm not going to take a poll here to make you feel really uncomfortable, but um, some of us are better investors than others. Right? Some of us have a long string of investments we've made that have been complete, you know, fiascos and failures, and we struggle with that. Some of us are actually wired this way, and we've been educated and trained, and we're gifted in the, in the way that we see 
finances and resources, and we can leverage them for the kingdom. Those people have, I think, a lot to teach us as a body, as individuals, as we seek to follow Jesus. Because my resources can develop character and values and stewardship in a healthy way, or they can undercut my walk with the Lord. It can make me selfish and lead me to take advantage of others and treat others as objects. It can lead down the road where I'm unfaithful to the Lord, or it can lead to really great blessing as I see my investments for the kingdom flourish. Jesus, is, Jesus does emphasize the linkage between money and spirituality, and you may think that's none of his business. But the thing is, when you chose, if you have, to follow Jesus and to have all the blessings of that following, right, to be able to be a person, become a person who now enjoys the blessing of God, the, the security of knowing you're his kid, and you've got eternity in front of you. You have heaven guaranteed. You have a relationship with him. You're his daughter, his son now. If you've stepped into that, you've stepped in not as someone who just takes all the blessing, but someone who follows him as their Lord. And he's either Lord of all of it, including your resources, or he's not Lord at all. Don't fool yourself. The message Jesus is driving here is this. Love God and use money instead of using God and loving money. The opposite is how our culture often operates. We're called to something better and different, to a kingdom way of investing. And because of that, um, I've invited a friend to join us this morning. And uh, I want you to give him like a huge welcome. He is a college roommate of mine. His name is Roy Goebel. Would you welcome Roy? Thanks. So, um, so Roy, I'm going to ask you a set of questions. And man, I'm, I'm going to make it actually easy on you. But I've, I've debated this the whole week long. I thought, man, I could really put you on the, on the hot seat. And that would be fantastic. Um, just a story, if you want to know a little bit more about our relationship, Roy's got a blog, and uh, he wrote a story this week about one kind act that he did to me once. Um, but I, I wanted to actually, for our fellowship, to be able to pick your brain a bit, Roy, and I'm just really grateful that you've come, and especially bring your far better half, Dion, who's right there. So welcome, Dion. Good to have you. Um, <clears throat> So when we first knew each other, you know, in college, you're squirrely, do crazy things. And I want to know a little bit about the journey, how you went from that guy and um, God moved you to a place where you're at now, a man devoted to building the kingdom of God and doing it through the leveraging of wealth. How, how in the world did that happen? Yeah, I, I have to start by saying he has no idea how I'm going to answer these questions. <laughs> and the last time I was actually like in a closed room like this with you, other than when our wives were there, I threw firecrackers on top of his head while he was sleeping. <laughs> um, so that's what he's referring to. It's a true story. Um, <laughs> so he didn't think much of me in college. Um, and kind of with good reason. Um, I was, uh, uh, Dion would describe me as a brat. I was uh, sharp-witted. Um, I didn't always model the love of Christ. Um, loved Christ myself. I just didn't like the people around me. 
And um, there's times where that's still true. Um, so in some ways, I haven't changed that much since that college yeah. kid. Uh, but, I, you know, I graduated from college, and I had several really great breaks. The best break was Dion married me just a few months after graduating. I have no idea why that happened. I don't yeah, either. I don't either. And then um, I went to work for the family business, which is real estate. And we were based in North San Jose at a time when that area was exploding. Within the first five years, uh, you know, we went from driving a, a used Ford Fiesta um, to um, being millionaires. And it was a shock to my system. Um, when I was uh, in my late 20s, I went to, of all things, a dentist appointment. Routine thing. And they, they made me wait in the waiting room. So I go in the waiting room, there's a bunch of magazines. I pick one up, and it had a pretty cover, and it was a travel magazine. The article um, that they were promoting was the top 10 hotels in the world. So I'm flipping through that, and it's really kind of interesting, and I'm, I'm, getting, I'm not reading it, but I'm looking at the pretty pictures. And I get to the end of it, and I go, wait a minute. And I go back, and I look at the top 10 again. Mind you, I'm 28 years old or so, and I'd been to seven of the top 10. And my first reaction was, how can I get to the other three? My second reaction was, who can I brag to? And then there was a Holy Spirit moment where it just hit me. I'm 28 years old, and I've been to seven of the top ten hotels in the world. Something is out of balance with that. Something is deeply unhealthy. And um, from that time forward, I, I went and I talked to Dion about it. Dion looked at me like, duh. Um, this is what I've been saying since we got married. And um, she was right. Um, and we've tried to live our lives where we didn't let the wealth that God's blessed us with influence our values and influence our spiritual direction and influence our relationships. Mm. So that speaks a little bit to a turning of ambition. And I know you're an ambitious guy. I, I am actually. I hide it in different ways. But, but um, how, what is it actually that grabs your ambition these days? What is it? That... Yeah, um, I've had the luxury, and it is a luxury, to live what I call the liberal arts life. Uh, we went to liberal arts college. And to be able to spend um, a chunk of my time on ministry, uh, um, a chunk of my time at work, um, and still donate. My daughter runs another ministry, and I, I'm on her board. Um, I'm on the board of our college. Um, I, I get to donate that time, and it's wonderful. Living that, that multiple interests. My wife makes olive oil. We have all these kind of fun things in our lives. And um, I've embraced that. You know, sometimes I felt guilty about that because it's like, man, if I just threw myself into business, how great that would be. Or if I just threw myself into ministry, the amazing things we could do. But I've found that, that um, there's this beautiful rhyme, this beautiful sort of simplicity uh, for me to have multiple interests at once. And I am deeply thankful God's let me discover that. Um, so it's part of embracing life. It's part of um, enjoying life. The other part I would add is, in the last, say, five years, Proverbs 31 has really come alive for me. Now, most of us, if you've ever gone to church and Bible studies and heard sermons, you think of Proverbs 31 as the noble woman. I get that. But the first part of Proverbs 31 is really cool, and I'd encourage you to look it up. Um, it's a, the mother of a king giving advice to her son. 
And she says, look, okay, now you're king. This is the Roy Goebel paraphrase. Trust me, it's not actually written this way. And, and he, she says, look, you're the king now. But that doesn't mean you get to party all the time. It doesn't mean you're to have wine and beer all the time. It literally says that. It means you have a responsibility to those you lead, and especially a responsibility to the poor and the discouraged and the oppressed. And it winds up with give them the wine and beer so that they can drink and forget their misery. And I went, wow, a party time, right? That's what it sounds like. But when you really understand it in the cultural context, wine and beer were things that were used by the rich. The poor didn't have an opportunity to celebrate. It wasn't about getting drunk. It was about simply having an opportunity to celebrate. And this wise old woman is giving her son the king advice. Give the poor and the oppressed a reason to have hope and a reason to celebrate. Mm -hmm. That's been deep in our lives. Mm. Cool. Um, You know, we've sat in environments where people are talking about the use of wealth and people, well-meaning followers of Jesus come to all kinds of different conclusions about uh, your lifestyle, about your investments, about how to step in to build a kingdom. Um, and there's this tension, right, between wealth and poverty, about how I use my resources, how I'm faithful, um, how I guard myself from temptation or step into temptation. Tell us a little bit about your convictions as you've gone through this journey and what's shaped them. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I did write a book about it. <laughs> um, and, and they're going to be outside if you want one. Um, that wasn't actually an advertisement, and it wasn't like just softball, so... Um, it wasn't? I'll, I'll say I it. thought Let it me, was. <laughs> Let me say it. Roy's got books outside. It's Junkyard Wisdom. Um, he's giving them away. He's not selling them like to get money off of you, right? So it, it's just a tool for us to sharpen. And, um, but he's also got a little card in there about Pathlight, and you're going to say a word about that, I'm sure, but... Um, yeah. yeah, so let's talk about the tension. Let's talk about uh, the journey. Yeah, wealth is a tension. Be, um, it, there's this constant um, temptation around wealth. It's easy to get caught up in it. Um, I could go on and on to answer your question, but I'm just going to share one thing that I think is, is crucial. Wealth has a way of building walls around us. If you are a wealthy person... And in that, you said it really well earlier. Most everybody in the room is wealthy. If you earn, I think it's $30,000 a year, you're in the top 1% globally. So when I say wealth, I don't mean multimillionaires. It's all of us. Wealth has a way of wrapping us in a sort of styrofoam cocoon. We get nervous about other people taking our wealth. We get nervous about that, and as a result... We don't build deep, meaningful relationships with others. Wealth actually builds walls. Now, sometimes it's literal. Um, you know, we can all think of literal situations where the wealthy are walled off from the rest of us. Um, and sometimes it's more um, habitual. We go to certain grocery stores because the other one's kind of, eh, you know, the people there. Um, or we go shopping in certain places or we go to church in certain places. Um, those are walls that are building in our minds and in our hearts, and they impact us spiritually. 
Um, so I think wealth has this uncanny knack for Satan to use it to keep us from truly having deep and meaningful relationships with people who are different from us. So I, I wrote the book in hopes that um, the wealthy open up their hearts and minds to the poor so that there's, um, the book's not about racial reconciliation, but I hope that that's a, a driving force in it. Um, and I really want people to see their wealth as something that's really God's, and they can't let it build up those walls. So one of the, like, getting out of the wall steps uh, is some of the investments, the personal investments that you've made. And I think it'd be really intriguing for people to, to hear about that, um, specifics that you have felt God call you to step into, and a little bit of the, the vision behind that and what moved you that direction. Yeah, um, that would, uh, that, now that is a softball question. Thank you very much, Ron. appreciate that. <laughs> Um, one of the ministries that Dion and I are very deeply involved with, we were co-founders of it, is called Pathlight International. Years and years ago, Dion and I went to Belize pondering why are we even here. Long story behind that. But it didn't take us long for us to quickly sense God's handiwork in that moment, God's presence in that time that we were in Belize together Um, and with our very young kids, and even my mom at the time. And we sensed that we were called to this little country on the Caribbean coast, just south of Mexico. Um, It's a small country. It's about the size of Fremont, quite honestly. Um, Bigger geographically, but the population base is about 300,000 people, something like that. And um, we have been able to create relationships and build inroads that our organization, Pathlight, I, I want to dream big, can actually impact the entire nation. Um, we've been given the opportunity to train every teacher in the country. So we have a teacher training program that's Christ-centered. We've been given an opportunity to sponsor every, un, um, uh, every child that doesn't have the money to go to school in high school and college. Um, and we've been able to open up doors in communities of real poverty to make an impact there. Those are the kinds of things that excite me and that um, um, I'm hoping um, God does great things through. I've learned that if you impact the education system, you impact an entire culture. And that, that's exciting to me uh, as we look at that. And we're the only ones in Belize that are really thinking kind of with a global plan. There's little small, what I call mom-and-pop ministries. Mm -hmm. God bless them. They're wonderful. We work with them. We partner with them. But there's nobody really looking at it from how can we transform an entire nation. Mm -hmm. And so we're excited to to fill that role. So when you've got big vision and you've got some resources to step in and try to connect with people, um, sometimes you do great things. And sometimes you like you mess it up, and so maybe it'd be helpful for people just to hear. Uh, have you ever like got it wrong? Oh, never, never. <laughs> no. And if you've got it right, you know what did that look like. So maybe one story on each one, so you can redeem yourself after you you know embarrass yourself. <laughs> no, I'm gonna, I'm going to start with what we what we got right, okay, and end with what we got wrong because I think there's meaningful power and um, just the transparency of sharing about how we've messed up. Um, What we got right, when we started Pathlight, um, our co-founders moved to Belize. 
And we did not really fully understand what God had in mind for this new ministry. So we spent about almost a year, at least nine months, just asking questions and listening. And we went to every village in the area. We went to every pastor we could find. We went to every government leader that would take time to talk with us. We talked to every principal at every school. And we said, what do you need? What's really important? And because we did that, um, our staff in Belize is 100% Belizean now, and we have um, great relationships. We have people that, that are Belizean that advocate for us. Mm-hmm. We, have, we have Belizeans that raise money for us, which is just amazing in this impoverished country. Mm-hmm. So um, that's a huge success. It just took some time, and you know, the, sort of the businessman in me wanted to kind of go, come on, come on, let's go, let's get it done. Mm-hmm. But... Stopping and listening was really important. Failure. Longer story. Uh, Years ago, I went to Haiti. And if you've ever been to Haiti, you know that most everybody there wears a T-shirt. It's hot, humid climate, very poor. And what happens is that you and I buy T-shirts, and we wear them for a while, and we give them to the Goodwill. Or maybe we give them to Salvation Army, whoever. They sell them. Somebody else wears them for a while. That person either gives it back to a Goodwill or they use it to wash their car later, whatever. The T-shirts that they can't get rid of, they literally put together like in a giant bundler, like a bale of hay. And they put them on a ship and they take them to places like Haiti. So what's amusing about that is you can be in Haiti and walk around. And I can remember this one big buff guy. He like carried rocks all day. So he was just ripped. And he had this T-shirt, this pink T-shirt. Remember, he doesn't speak English. He has this pink T-shirt, and it says, I'm a rootin' tootin' cowgirl. (laughs) So you'd see funny things like that. Well, I was in Haiti, as I said, and uh, my host said, you've got a couple hours before you need to be at the airport. We're going to drop you in downtown Port-au-Prince so you can just walk around. They had some errands to run. So I was walking around by myself. I was walking past um, the presidential palace, right in front of it. And very, very busy street on my left, sidewalk straight, and about like where the back of the room is, I saw a man lying on the sidewalk um, in a fetal position. It was not unusual to see beggars in Haiti, of course, but he was in a fetal position all the way on his side, curled up like this. Um, I immediately started thinking, this is not to my credit, how can I get out of this? Uh, I can't really step into traffic because it was really busy street and it would have been dangerous. Um, I can't go back because I don't know my way and I have to get that way to meet my friends. Um, I don't want to step over him. That seems really rude. So what do I do? Well, as I'm contemplating this, I'm getting closer and closer. I realize I have some Haitian coins in my pocket. I can give him that. They didn't mean anything to me. I was going to get on a plane and fly to Miami It's not like you can spend Haitian coins in the U.S. So I reached into my pocket. By this time, I'm getting closer and closer to him. I reached into my pocket, and he saw that motion, knew what it meant, and he sort of unfolded his arms a little bit, and he put his hand up. I got close enough to him that when he did that motion, I could see what was on his T-shirt. And in that split-second moment, um, I can honestly say my, my life changed. Because what was on his T-shirt was shop till you drop. In a split second more, I saw his feet. 
The reason he was laying on his side is because his feet had grown in like this. There's probably a medical ex- explanation for it. He couldn't walk. Um, his knees were, were scuffed. I'm sure he drags himself, himself around. Um, and he was just laying there on the street, um, poor, hungry, cold. Well, not cold, but without shelter. Um, and nobody around him. And it broke my heart. And yet, in a moment when I could have been a special relationship for him, I walked on. I gave him some coins that were worthless to me, and I just walked on. And I feel bad about that some 20 years later. Now, granted, I had a plane to catch, blah, blah, blah. Could have delayed the plane. Could have done a lot of things. Um, But I failed that person that day. And I don't want to fail those relationships. Um, so that would be pretty significant failure in my life. Mm. I think that story resonates with most of us, right, who have come to moments of how do I step in and be the love of Jesus in this present moment with this particular person because it's, it's always personal. And, um, you know, that's at the heart what we're going to be talking about in our series I hope you hear our hearts. It's when we step into this series on wealth and poverty, it's not about being judgmental. It's not about pouring on the guilt or the shame. It's calling us to live out as followers of Jesus in every moment and in every relationship we have to be Jesus in that person's life and to respond just as Christ is calling us to and to be thinking about our resources as a means to be kingdom builders. Let me pray for us if I could. Father, I just am so grateful um, for my dear friend Roy and Dion and what you're continuing to do in their lives. I pray your blessing on them. Keep sharpening them and convicting them and leading them forward for your sake and for the sake of your kingdom. And we pray the same for us this day for every relationship we step into, every moment you have for us that we would be stewards who would bring honor to you. We pray these things in Christ's name for his sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.